So welcome to Project Echo, University of Melbourne Hub Adolescent Mental Health Network. This is Series 2, Session 6, and I'd like to acknowledge the support of the Victorian Government in, in the production of this series. It's Tuesday the 19th of October 2021, and welcome back to the Adolescent Mental Health Echo Network. This session is titled Working with Kids in Out-of-Home Care. Um, in our last session, we discussed the context of families in the care and recovery of young people with mental health presentations. Sandra described the continuum of caregiving and interventions to support families through their own struggles and the impact of crisis on caregiving. In this session, we'll be focusing on the group of young people living in out-of-home care. Guest speaker and expert in this field, Dr. Susan Webster, uh, will highlight the needs of this group of young people. And in our case-based discussion, we'll consider how we as GPs and nurses in school clinics can best work to support this group made vulnerable through their caregiving and living arrangements. Okay, thanks very much, Bianca. I'm um, an honorary research fellow at University of Melbourne in the Department of General Practice. I'm a health systems and policy researcher, uh, not a GP. So I'm interested in the very big picture rather than the clinical picture. I really want to talk today about what makes this um, group of children and young people in out-of-home care uh, special and different to the average paediatric patient in general practice. Uh, I've really got two take-home messages today, and this is those. From a health system's point of view, these children are considered a low-incidence, high-need uh, population, and they do have special healthcare needs that set them apart. I'll talk briefly about that today. The second key message is that because of those special needs, they really require proactive, planned, coordinated healthcare, the opposite of opportunistic care, which is often how they present uh, when they come to GP surgery. There are two tools that can support that different kind of care. One is the National Clinical Assessment Framework. Uh, for out-of-home care developed in 2011, and I'll talk briefly about that today. And the other is just to alert you to health pathways um, developed by primary health networks. There is one for out-of-home care now, and I'll just signpost that for you because that can help too. These are some of the features that are important in the context, I think, um, for these children. There are about uh, more than 15,000 in Victoria. Um, so you can see low incidence generally in terms of the total patient population. Um, the cornerstones for, um, uh, no, the next thing is, importantly from a health point of view, we can expect they'll have had cumulative experiences of neglect and maltreatment through their childhood. They're not taken into care for a single episode. Many have had cycled through years of abuse. Out-of-home care is the last resort, a statutory intervention to keep children safe, and most children are in court-ordered care. That means that those who are in care have been the most maltreated. Um, a significant number cycle in and out of care, having multiple placement changes and might well be separated from their siblings as well as their parents. Their children and carers and parents often feel very stigmatised and they often avoid disclosing their out-of-home care status. So the first thing is to check uh, whether they have that history. The next slide. 
And most GPs might only see one or two children from care each year. And these are some of the critical differences between this population and a usual patient population, particularly in terms of legalities. Firstly, both a case manager and a carer have shared responsibilities for children's health care. So each child will have a case manager from the responsible Victorian government department or from a community service organisation like MacKillop, Brophy, Gunditjmara or Wimbera United Care in your area. Most children will also have a carer who's paid an allowance by the state. So these are foster or kinship carers or for a small number of young people, they might be a residential care worker or a lead tenant, usually for older ones. Parents might also be in the picture, however, they might retain legal rights around consent for medical treatment, even though they don't have custody of the child. So working out who has authority to consent, the case manager, the carer or the parent can be really complex, but very important. So for this whole patient population, the medico-legal issues are quite heightened. If parents are prohibited from knowing the carer or the placement details, communication with them can be difficult too, and sometimes they are banned um, from knowing the whereabouts of the child. So I want to talk about what characterises these special healthcare needs, um, and it's really the risk of um, multimorbidities in this group. In the next few slides, I've drawn together data from all of the Australian studies I'm aware of since 2006 that have looked at samples of kids in care and where a paediatrician-led multidisciplinary team has done a comprehensive assessment of the children's health needs. The results um, of the Australian studies really mimic those found overseas. Firstly, what we see is that biological concerns are much more common than average. So these average pop, uh, figures in red in the, the outside column I've taken generally from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare. So the things here include growth, nutrition, vision, hearing, oral health uh, abnormalities like uh, undiagnosed heart conditions, respiratory conditions, abdominal and digestive concerns are very common in this group. Um, you can see a, a picture here. There's a really marked difference in these kind of markers. Similarly, with developmental concerns, um, these are very prevalent. Language and speech, behavioural and emotional, mental health. I was particularly worried to uh, policymakers over the past few years, particularly in America, um, but also here has been the incidence of psychotropic medications, especially in medication monitoring, can be a problem with kids moving around a lot and people losing sight of them. Learning and sleeping difficulties are very prevalent um, and there's a disproportionate uh, level of intellectual disability found in this patient population. Now, of concern too is the increased risk that children might have missed important preventive interventions like vaccination and a health screening for things like hepatitis. You can see the vaccination rates can be really poor. Um, that's gradually improving in Victoria, but are still a problem. Um, you can also see that uh, in studies have found up to 70% of children seen need two or more referrals 
um, for further assessment or treatment. Now, these multimorbidities tell us something about children's health status at a point in time, but uh, this diagram uh, illustrates that isn't the whole picture when it comes to assessment. Assessing how maltreatment or neglect has impacted on health determinants from conception. Uh, so what were those uh, prenatal factors? Uh, what are those uh, antenatal care factors on health risk behaviours? You know, what, what has this child learned? What have they been exposed to? Not just uh, dental hygiene or nutrition, but things like um, sexual health uh, relationships. Uh, lots of health risk behaviours need to be considered. Um, health literacy, this group have been found um, to have significant literacy difficulties as a population, and that, um, of course, transfers over uh, with health literacy and also resilience is an issue. So for Indigenous children, connection to culture and community are considered to be very important. So assessment that looks at uh, what is the nature of those connections um, it becomes, you know, an important part of the whole picture. Unfortunately, in statutory care, the overall focus is on child wellbeing, not on health in particular. And in Victoria, um, health doesn't um, get a very high profile. Safety is the main driver. And once safety is uh, assured, uh, people can move on quickly to the next child. So when it comes to looking beyond health status, although it's multi-morbidity kind of measures, um, to look at health needs and healthcare receipt, we find gaps. We find lots of gaps for this population. Then there's health-related quality of life. So a South Australian study found that uh, when they talked with carers about what it's like to manage the health of these children, they said it's like having a child with juvenile diabetes or cystic fibrosis. The needs are complex, they're continuing, um, it's quite challenging. Then we know that in terms of health trajectory, child maltreatment has very big consequences for adult health. So this is the much um, broader picture that from an assessment point of view, we're interested in all of these things, all of these factors. So really taking into account this complex picture, um, clinical best practice guidelines tell us um, what is needed is proactive, planned, coordinated care for these children. And this Commonwealth framework developed in 2011 is built on recognition um, of that need. It was agreed by health ministers to really serve as a guide to the state jurisdictions to try to improve the quality of um, the way health was managed. So the clinical advisory group who developed it uh, were successful in, um, in pushing it through and making sure that the framework authorised um, the use of Medicare, proactive use of MBS items for all of the steps of care um, that the framework recommends. And that was a really big policy breakthrough in 2011. As a clinical aid, um, the framework outlines age-appropriate assessment steps and readily available screening tools. So these are the key steps in the framework. Firstly, a preliminary check in primary care, um, ideally when children first enter 
care, followed by a comprehensive assessment by a multidisciplinary team, then a health management plan to structure specific assessments and treatment and ongoing assessment and monitoring as the young person develops. Importantly, these children need someone knowledgeable to coordinate their health care in the absence of usual parenting. We can't assume that parents will be on top of this or um, be capable. So assessment is recommended against these dimensions. The framework provides those clinical guidelines based on these four age groupings, the infants, um, the early years, middle years and adolescence. It recognises that multidisciplinary comprehensive assessment will need multiple visits and that's where that MBS authority um, to move beyond, you know, single um, episode uh, care is really important. Unfortunately, there's no current provision in Victoria, although there is in some other states for healthcare coordinators for kids in care, except for a very small minority who live in resi care. The burden then falls really to case managers and carers, and they may well struggle. If they do, it falls by default to GPs. That can be very, very frustrating for um, health practitioners. But at the same time, um, for GPs with a special interest in child adolescent health, which I know um, this group is, these are clinically very interesting patients and they can be really rewarding in, times, in terms of the impact that good GP care can have. I just want to highlight a couple of um, resources. I referred to the Health Pathway for Children uh, in Out-of-Home Care. Murray Valley have just updated theirs. It's built around the clinical assessment framework, steps of care, and I know that West Vic are currently taking that updated version and tailoring it for West Vic. So that will be available through your PHNs um, very soon. Murray Valley's is already available. The um, Victorian Department developed a Child Development and Trauma Guide, which is a really useful, quick desktop guide to signs and symptoms of trauma um, that uh, you might consider when you're assessing children. It's um, age appropriate. It follows those um, different ages and stages. It's a really useful guide used all over Australia. It's been well recognised. Lastly, I wanted to say that um, it's very difficult to access the voice of children and young people who are affected um, by living in out-of-home care. And this book by Corey White, um, a young Australian man who recently, in the last few years, spent um, time in care and had significant maltreatment in his early childhood, is a really insightful um, glimpse into the effects on life, on health, uh, and on mental health. And uh, I recommend it as a, a kind of fresh look, uh, non-clinical look at um, getting into the mind of um, young people with this experience. Uh, I certainly found it um, very insightful.